From Virginia Humanities, this is Backstory. Welcome to Backstory, the show that explains the history behind the headlines. I'm Ed Ayers. I'm Joanne Freeman. And I'm Brian Bella. If you're new to the podcast, each week, along with our colleague Nathan Connolly, we explore a different aspect of American history. We're going to start the show in 1962, when one of the most celebrated figures of the 20th century found himself in the grips of one of the world's most notorious regimes. The figure was Nelson Mandela, and the regime was South Africa's apartheid government. Mandela had spent most of 1962 abroad uh, as a representative of the recently banned African National Congress. Tim Borstelman teaches global history at the University of Nebraska. And he had been engaged in promoting support in Egypt, uh, in other parts of North Africa, and especially in the United Kingdom. And then when he came back into South Africa uh, in August, on August 5th of 1962, uh, he was arrested by the the South African um, police uh, apparently, from the best evidence we have, um, at least in part on the basis of a tip from the CIA, which worked closely with the intelligence services of the South African state. Nelson Mandela's arrest came in the wake of some important moments in South Africa's history. In 1948, South Africa's National Party came to power on a platform of apartheid. Tim says the country had been segregated for a long time, but apartheid was a much more severe regime. As part of that platform, South African authorities started cracking down on the civil rights of the black majority. Then, in 1960, police officers killed 69 peaceful protesters. The event is known as the Sharpeville Massacre, and it contributed to the apartheid government's ban on dissenting organizations, including the African National Congress. But you're probably still wondering, why did the CIA tip off South African authorities? So the U.S. government had been in bed with the South African government, had been closely aligned with it since 1950. The original U.S. relationship with the South African government was formed indirectly by military alliance because South Africa fought as part of the British Commonwealth on the Allied side um, that the U.S. was part of in World War I and also in World War II. So there's a, there's a longstanding relationship that's military and political that goes back. Um, but it's really a, a relationship that accelerates because of strategic minerals after 19, really after 1950. In 1950, the U.S. and South Africa signed an agreement for the U.S. to be purchasing future um, uranium ore dug up in South Africa. And this comes at a crucial moment because uranium at that point was thought to be quite rare. So the question was where the next batch of uranium would come from. This isn't a minor question. I mean, this is the era in which the U.S. is building its nuclear arsenal and making sure that it has the largest one, especially after 1949 when the Soviets detonate their own nuclear device for the first time. Access to uranium is, it's hard to imagine a more important concern. And South Africa, at least until 1952, from 50 to 52, appeared to be the future of uranium mining. 
Tim says that most Americans experienced the period after World War II as the Cold War era. But this wasn't the case for most people around the world. In South Africa, India, and many other countries, the period after 1945 was one of decolonization. Anti-colonial activists were fighting for self-determination from mostly white rulers. But this posed a problem for American authorities. They were trying to support the movement for independence, but they also wanted to maintain partnerships with long-standing European allies like France and Britain. The simplest way to think about it is that the U.S. understood that there were two great forms of injustice in the world. There was communist injustice and there was racist, imperialist injustice. But they were much more concerned about the Cold War problem, about the communist version of of a sort of a totalitarian form of dominance, of unfreedom. They, the question of racial unfreedom to Americans was always something that hit close to home and that was, uh, they thought, something that could be managed in a more gradually reformist kind of fashion. But they were absolutely certain that the highest priority had to be stopping the expansion of communism or socialism in any form. So that meant uh, lining up with a lot of governments abroad that were also anti-communist, uh, even if they were quite unjust in the treatment of their own peoples. And among those, uh, South Africa was the, the sort of uh, ultimate problem because they were the one last remaining white-dominated state that explicitly rejected the idea of full human equality. So South Africa was just a, sort of a puzzle that American government policymakers had a very hard time resolving. Tim says American authorities solved this puzzle by reluctantly supporting the anti-communist apartheid regime. It's not that the CIA, you know, was explicitly cheering for apartheid, although sometimes it may look that way on the surface. They would much rather that the South African white folks had done differently than they had in their domestic policies. But those were much less important than preserving the strategic relationship with the South African government and preventing what they feared was a possibly a, a, a communist black majority government. That's what they were really concerned about. And it's true that the South African apartheid government was so brutal towards uh, protesters that the South African Communist Party gained a great deal of moral authority and was closely allied with the African National Congress. So the kind of <laughs> question of, of whether South Africa might have become a communist nation under black rule was not a complete fantasy, but of course it was a product directly of the white, the brutality of white anti-communism. The one thing about this that is not always clear to, um, you know, to people in, at this point in the 21st century is the degree to which uh, communism in theory, Marxist-Leninism, was not primarily concerned with race, of course. It was concerned with issues of class. But that the communist uh, forms of government under the Soviet Union had explicitly banned racial discrimination from 1917 onwards. So uh, communists had a, a kind of reputation among racial freedom fighters around the globe as people who were dependable allies. That's a, that's a way of thinking that most Americans in the Cold War really weren't aware of. They tended to think of communists as sort of evil people who were, who were kind of robotic and, you know, oppressors of humanity, whereas from the perspective of a black South African in the 
50s or 60s or 70s. I mean, communists were on the right side. It's the Americans that they weren't sure were on the right side. They were pretty sure they weren't. And all of that said, what specifically was the CIA's role in the arrest of Nelson Mandela? I don't know the exact role. What we know is that that former agents have admitted to having tipped off the South African intelligence service. Uh, and to because the, the CIA had much more extensive resources, both human and mechanical, for spying on and monitoring dissidents, socialists, communist sympathizers around the globe. And they were busy doing that, and they were just much better at it than South Africa. So they worked hand-in-glove with them, just as the CIA worked hand-in-glove with the French government, the, you know, the British government, and many other anti-communist governments. <laughs> 